humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 252. I had a conversation with Anna Swenson. She is a part of the Recompose team. And you may have heard of Recompose in the news recently. Uh, They've been really all over the news. They are a place that you can go when you pass away and they will turn you into soil and then return you to the earth. Uh, On their website, there's a lovely little section I'm just going to read. It says, healthy soil is vital for an ecosystem to thrive. It regulates moisture, sequesters carbon, and sustains plants, animals, and humans. Recompose was born from research on the soil cycle. Soil created by Recompose will nurture growth on the same forest floor that inspired its creation, allowing us to give back to the earth that nourishes all our lives. Beautiful. I loved this conversation. I find this sort of stuff fascinating, and it actually changed my mind of what I want to do when I pass away, uh, what I want to have done with me when I pass away, I should say. Recompose was founded by a woman named Katrina Spade, and I wonder if, I'm sure some people have said, oh, spade and dirt and earth. That's, that has to be a reference somewhere. It's got to be. I can't be the first person to think of that. I'm not that smart. Uh, but Anna works for Recompose with Katrina. She's one of the original members of the team of Recompose, and so when I reached out to them to have somebody on the show to talk about what they do and what it's all about. Uh, She was the one that got back to me and we had a lovely conversation. So I'm excited for you to hear that. I wanted to let everybody know that I was recently on a podcast called Songtown on Songwriting Podcast. Uh, The episode is called The Art of Storytelling. And I had the opportunity to talk to Marty Dodson. He's a hit songwriter. And he and Clay Mills, both are great friends of mine. They founded Songtown Uh, a few years ago now, and it's a wonderful community of songwriters and creators. They come together and uh, there's mentorship and things about the craft and uh, a lot of songwriters are, a lot of hit songwriters are a part of it and they help with newer songwriters. And uh, yeah, it's just a really great resource. So it was fun to be on the show and talk about songwriting and storytelling and hey human and all that stuff so definitely check that out again it's songtown on songwriting podcast there's a recent one it was february 23rd 2021 speaking of other podcasts uh, i was also recently interviewed for the podcast called ethical seduction that episode will come out on the 19th of march on the ethical seduction podcast so i am just I'm making the rounds on the podcast lately. It's a lot of fun. The ethical seduction one was was a blast. Uh, we talked about all sorts of things, uh, sex and desire and flirting and how to make new friends and being a human in the world, all that kind of stuff. So I enjoyed that very much. And I'll, uh, when that comes out, I'll give another heads up how to find it. So definitely, definitely look for it. Usual stuff, social media, Hey Human Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook. My personal social media, Susan Ruthism, is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And 
you can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. If you go to heyhumanpodcast.com, you'll find the links page. Every episode gets its own pile of links where I try to put everything together for you so you don't have to go too far, or you can find out more information about my guests, what they talked about, what we talked about, any books or articles, that kind of thing. So definitely check the links page out. You'll also find the storefront where you can get Hey Human merch. And that's real fun. If you like t-shirts, who doesn't like a t-shirt? Definitely uh, go through and, and see if there's one on there that you might find yourself feeling adorable in. And then get her done. Get you one. Okay, well, let's see. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do that because it's super helpful and I appreciate it. So there's two reasons. You can find out more about me at susanruth.com and join the mailing list there. I will send out a mailer every, I don't know, four to six to eight months. The number keeps changing. But actually, I've been working on the mailer as we speak. And I believe... If the moons align and the stars align and Mercury's not in retrograde or whatever, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put it out this week. Miracles do happen. So definitely sign up on the mailing list if you wanna get that. Um that's about it, I think. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope everyone's staying healthy. Looking forward to getting the vaccine soon myself. And um yeah, let's do this. All right. Thanks, everybody. Here we go. Anna Swenson, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. I'm very excited for this conversation. Me too. You work with a company for a company called Recompose, which is, of course, making the news headlines right now. Uh, you know, what's interesting about this company is that when it was... Um, the Urban Death Project. I was following Urban Death Project for a while, seeing what was going on with that. Um, I grew up in Seattle. And uh, so kind of keep abreast of the things happening with anybody or anything. And uh, for some reason, though, it's funny, I, I watched a video. I remember this. It was like two or three years ago. It was, a, I think it was a cartoon about end of life and, and this. And uh I was completely hooked. I was like, okay, I've got to keep an eye on what's going on with all of this. And the concept of that one was there was like um, an acreage. There was an acreage, many acres of land. And the idea was you could just go and be put out into the forest and become part of the forest. And so that's anyway, that was my beginning to that. Then I read the article about uh, Recompose and I thought, okay, well, let's get, get these these people on the on the show so here you are thank you here i am how did you come to be a part of recompose i had also been following katrina's work for a while that's our founder and ceo katrina spade <clears throat> i first heard of what she was doing in caitlin doty the author and funeral director she wrote a book called from here to eternity that's about death practices around the world and in that book she went with katrina to an early study of what is now the recomposed process that was sort of what you described it was a um 
project at Western Carolina University where they had a forest land and they were researching how decomposition works, both for the context of funeral care as well as um, forensics. <laughs> And when I read that book, I was just so fascinated by what Katrina was doing. And this was many years before I applied for the job at Recompose. Um, I was Recompose's first employee. And how I directly came to this job is I had worked in PR agencies for many years representing tech startups. And while the work of storytelling in a corporate environment is, you know, interesting and can be really fast paced and feel exciting, it just felt sort of empty to me. So I quit my job and gave myself three months to find something that felt more mission focused. And I applied for one job and it was the job at Recompose. And I both am astonished that it worked. <laughs> also, I like kind of from the first time that I saw the job listing on Idealist, I was like, yeah, this is going to work out. This is for me. And now I've been in this role for about a year and a half. And in that time, we're now up to eight employees and we're hiring for one more and two interns. So it's um, it's a fast paced environment and it's um it's really fun most of the time, even though, um, you know, in this work, we talk often about this idea of a duality. Um, so, you know, on one hand, it is really fun to be doing work that is directly meaningful and you can really see the impact and we hear from people all the time about how excited they are. And also, of course, it's emotionally demanding to work with people who are experiencing a death and to live every day with the awareness of death and um learning to hold that space is definitely an amazing skill that people in death care, you know, spend decades learning. So it's, it's been a switch from the corporate environment that was so emotionless. And, you know, in some ways you were encouraged not to think about like the human realities of, you know, life and death. And now I live in that space all the time. And sometimes it's fun. And sometimes I need to, you know, be gentle with myself. <laughs> Just part of being a part, of, especially because it's such a close knit and small company and growing, starting up. Do you get a lot of care for the employees? Do you, is there training about how to work with death and the concepts that you're working with? There is. Um, we have a lot of amazing advisors and collaborators who contribute to this work. Um, one is Angela Hennessy, who lives in the Bay Area. She's a researcher who has a lot of amazing things to say about death. And she was really instrumental in creating what we call the laying in, which is a ceremony that families can participate in if they choose recompose for their death care. And um, during that process, our staff places plant material on the body and then places it into the vessel where it transforms into soil. And that participatory death care aspect is part of our mission that people don't always know about if they, you know, just hear about the science or the ecological impact. And it's really rewarding to start encouraging people and hearing what they think about you know what death means to them it's really so different for so many people because of so many different reasons um, but we have actually caitlin the author that i mentioned caitlin doty is also an advisor of ours and <clears throat> she um, makes sure that how we're talking and how we're supporting our employees is 
going to make it so that we can continue to do this work. Um, there's another advisor, Alua Arthur, who is a death doula, and our staff does her trainings. And um, there's really so many amazing people who are contributing to this work. I, I do feel cared for. Um, it's skill development in terms of, you know, it. it's not just like me learning graphic design, it's like me learning long-term sustained empathy is uh, an interesting challenge <laughs> long-term sustained empathy i like that that's that's good i watched um some of katrina's interviews you know some of the, the things she talks about and she seems to have a very grounded approach a very caring approach which you like to see in, in a company like this obviously it doesn't and then calling it a company even feels weird because it doesn't feel like that it feels more like a process you know a experience which is weird because the people who have passed but it's death isn't just for the dying obviously it's it's really it's a it's an experience for the living they they take death and turn it into life. And uh, can we talk a little bit about the process of that before we get too far into the conversation so that people listening know your process? Sure. So the recomposed process of turning humans into soil takes place at our location here south of Seattle. And we call it the greenhouse. It has 10 vessels and the vessels are where the transformation into soil takes place. So when we place a body into a vessel, we also place in wood chips, alfalfa, and straw, and the microbes that naturally occur on that plant material and on and in our body is what powers the process. And those microbes create heat of over 131 degrees Fahrenheit, and that is what breaks the body down into a nutrient-rich soil. The law requires it reach 131 degrees Fahrenheit for at least 72 consecutive hours. And that is how we know that the pathogens and chemotherapy drugs, that sort of thing that remain in the body, break down and are in safe levels in the soil that results from the process. So during those 30 days in the vessel, the we do what we call a mixing to make sure that the pieces like the hips and the shoulders continue to break down. So that's how the bones and teeth also transform in that 30 days. And then at the end of the 30 days, we remove the soil from the vessel. We screen it for non-organics such as hip implants, that sort of thing recycle those if applicable and then the soil dries for another two to four weeks depending on its individual moisture content and then the soil can either be donated to our conservation forest at bells mountain in southern washington or families can take it home if they choose and it looks just like the soil amendment that you would get at a garden store and it is a valuable biological you know support for um, at our conservation forest that land was clear-cut in the 1930s and there's like a lot of soil erosion and this soil is needed to bring it back to its natural state as a beautiful verdant temperate rainforest what a great idea to take uncle bob and then you know, go go take him out into the field and then plant some you know an orchard on uncle bob i love that idea yeah, you you can do that <laughs> so cool you, you said the hip and the shoulder specifically is that the hardest part to break down yeah that is uh, i think because of like the 
you know, I honestly don't know why it's those two. Those are the two that Katrina always mentions. I think it's because they are like a density of bone there. You know, there's like a lot of bones on top of each other. And if we just left them undisturbed, they would break down. It would just take a lot longer than 30 days. That makes sense. What about people with uh, fillings or implants, uh, you know, or you mentioned other things like hips and, and but there's pacemakers and all that kind of stuff. It's, I imagine it's easy to get mechanics out after the heating process, the natural heating process. I think it's cool, by the way, that nature just becomes an oven. How cool is that? But the things like uh, that is a plastic or I don't whatever that is. So, you know, how do you take care of things like that? Yeah, so pacemakers are the one implant that does need to be removed before they go into the vessel, and that's because of the electrical elements. And um, that's the same for if a person is cremated, a pacemaker is also removed before that. Um, but the other implants, as long as we know about them and we don't, you know, you destroy them in the process, we just, you know, there's mechanical elements in the vessel. So we want to be aware that we're not grinding something up or something. I'm not saying this exactly I get it because you have to, I'm sure, like you do any kind of soil, there has to be something in the vessel that helps break, turn the soil over in order for the oxygenation. And I mean, that yeah. makes complete sense. And the vessel does turn as well, like sort of like a very slow dryer. It takes several minutes to go around. So, um, yeah, we're aware of any remaining implants that are in there. Um, small implants like dental fillings are usually just broken up into pieces and like part of the soil after that. Um, but if there are any bigger pieces, like for example, I have some plastic in my foot from when I broke my foot, we would just screen that out when we're sorting the soil before it goes back to the family or to the forest. So something like a breast implant, for, say, which of course millions of people have those, what, what happens to those sorts of things? Because that's a different type of material. Right. So breast implants actually break down. Oh, go figure. Yeah. yeah, which was very interesting. One of our tests that we did before we started doing humans, right when I first started the company a year and a half ago, they were doing that test. We did some livestock, many, many livestock tests. And that was we put a couple of breast implants in with one of them and they like aren't there to be screened out at the end i just pictured a pig with giant breasts going <laughs> 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 you mean you use the livestock and you put the she was the most popular pig in all of the farm <laughs> what about uh, this shape of the vessel does that make a difference or yeah not? so our vessels are stainless steel tubes they're about four and a half feet high and eight feet long and they set in a hexagon frame so you the 10 of them together is called a vessel array and it looks a bit like a honeycomb because there's all these hexagons together um, and the shape of the vessel does matter i mean there's many ways that you can do human composting and i'm sure other people will come up with other ways but for us for one this um, process was inspired by bringing a green burial like option to an urban environment so the ability to stack these is really important for the 
number that we can fit in a given space. So that's one reason that the shape is important. Um, and also we do want the body to be laid into the vessel and it stays in one place without mixing or turning for several days. And, you know, there's a an element of comfort there for the family in knowing that their person is there. And, and actually, I do sometimes have people email me who are like, I really don't want to be buried alive. Like, can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, there's oxygen in there. Like, if you were alive, you would be fine. <laughs> um hasn't it it won't happen it hasn't happened but um there is a, a comfort element there for the fact that um you know you were just laying on a pretty comfortable looking bed of wood chips and alfalfa for the first couple of weeks as your body starts the process of transforming into soil yeah oh man that's that's a very intense email to get i know i i get very funny emails. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. Let's talk environmental impact mm -hmm. of burial, cremation, and then recompose. Sure. So usually when I talk to folks, they are at least somewhat aware of the negative environmental impacts of conventional burial. They're aware that, you know, embalming chemicals are really harmful. There's hardwood in the casket. Um, when they bury a casket in almost all cemeteries, they will bury as well a concrete vault in the ground with steel and concrete and that's usually so that the ground doesn't settle and they can mow the lawn easily so there's a lot of material that goes into this as well as you know all of the fossil fuels that go into the creation and transport of all of these different elements so there is those negative environmental elements so some folks are like okay i know i don't want that this land use piece isn't doesn't sit right with me maybe I'll go to cremation. And some folks, more folks, think that cremation is an environmentally friendly option. And I actually thought this. Like, I remember when I was first reading Caitlin's book, I read that the environmental impact of conventional cremation is about the same as burial. And I remember I was, like, sitting on my couch and I was like, what? Like, I have been lied to because mm -hmm. I always just like thought I was going to be cremated. And that was like the easy, good choice. But because of the fossil gas required to create the heat in a crematory retort, that's what the um, machine is called that does this. Um, it really has a profound carbon impact. So Interestingly enough, the environmental impact of conventional burial and cremation are about the same. In comparison, natural organic reduction, which is what Recompose does, when you choose this over those other two options, one metric ton of CO2 is saved from entering the environment. And that results because, one, we use much less fossil gas. You know, we do still have a little bit of gas of driving soil around and electricity, but it's profoundly less than what is used for conventional cremation. Like, for example, a cremation uses the equivalent of about 40 propane cylinders. So you can just like imagine a backyard barbecue situation, but there's 40 of them. So it's it's a lot 
and that's a one reason that this really resonates with people um and and one thing that like makes me really hopeful about doing this work is we now have about 550 people who have chosen recomposed death care in advance so we've already saved 550 metric tons of co2 from entering the environment and it's only going to continue growing and how cool is that absolutely i mean i i'm like you thought okay this is what i want i want to be cremated and then I want to be turned into rocks and all my friends get a rock <laughs> that was my thing but after reading more about that originally it was I want to go be put out into the forest and let nature do its thing and then when that stopped happening I don't know what fell through with all of that but something went what happened I don't know if neighbors were like what there's going to be bodies out in the forest no way you know um, and then I went to the the cremation idea and now I'm like you know what I think it's such a cool idea to turn into soil and be able to create yeah. life the way nature really truly intended. Yeah, and that's a good point too. There are several other options. It's not just um, soil or ashes. Um, one other option that folks might like to know about is green burial, which takes place in a designated cemetery where you don't have to have a casket or a vault. Um, so that's an option for some folks. Um, the challenges of that are there's not always availability for everyone who wants to be buried that way. And therefore, because of the demand, it can be kind of expensive, depending on where you live. Um, but that's like really, honestly, the most in carbon friendly because there's like almost no intervention. Just the gas of moving the body around. So that's great if you want to choose that. Um, there's another process called alkaline hydrolysis that's also called water cremation that uses charge and some mild chemicals to reduce the body into it's like just the calcium dust that's results at the end. It's like a sandy material. So that's one option. Um, and there are in some places more like the um, forensic research station that I was talking about at Western Carolina University, there are contexts where you can donate your body to those and, you know, just be out in the forest. And that is an option for you if you live near one of those. But I have people email us all the time who say, you know, I just, I just want to be taken out into my, my family's land and like left there. And unfortunately, depending on your perspective, it's not legal in Washington, definitely. And most other states, um, like the laws around bodies is very strict and specific. And, you know, it, it makes sense for respect reasons. And there's also like wills and estates issues, as well as, you know, criminology concerns. But part of Recompose's mission is that, you know, people should have access to whatever choice feel supportive for them. Absolutely. But uh, take us through an experience. Let's say I've come to you and uh, my mother has passed and, and we're going to go through the process. What does it look like? Sure. So when a family calls us, the first thing that we do is we ask them when they would like us to pick up their person. Um, we can pick up right away if they want or it is legal and safe to keep a body at home if you'd like to do 
a home funeral, you know, honor the person. You can keep a body at home up to several days and and we advise folks on how to cool a body if they want to do that. And and we do encourage folks. I think there's been this cultural conditioning from the funeral industry that like, oh, you have to like we have to take this person right away. There's like some sort of health concern or something. And there really isn't. Like caring for a body at home can really be beautiful and supportive if it's something that people want. So after we make sure that they have their time with their person, then our within Washington, our transport team will come pick up the person and bring it to our facility called the Greenhouse, which is in Kent, Washington. And then depending on what the family wants, we might do a laying in where they join us via zoom and our funeral director morgan might light a candle and lead everyone on zoom in some guided breathing maybe someone would read a poem or share a eulogy sometimes folks will want to share pictures or they'll have a song that the person really loved and then we would place the plant material, the wood chips, alfalfa, and straw over the person's body. And then our team gently loads the cradle into a vessel. We close the vessel, Morgan blows out the candle, and then we close the ceremony. What is the cradle? The cradle is basically the um, it looks a bit like a cart, and that's what we like move bodies into the vessels with. Um, there are some pictures on our website, and I can send some to you. Um, so once the vessel is closed, that's when the transformation into soil begins, and the microbes start doing their work. Um, the heat gets up to 131 degrees Fahrenheit within the first few days, definitely within the first week. And then our staff constantly monitors what's going on in the vessel. There's also a um, computer system in the vessels that takes a temperature reading every 10 minutes. So we're keeping very good records, very close eye on everything that's happening in the vessels. And after the 30 days, as long as everything is looking good, the soil is removed to cure. There are a couple legal requirements regarding testing the soil. So we have an on-staff soil scientist, Dr. Lynn Carpenter-Boggs. She does her own tests. And then we also send it out to an independent lab to make sure that we're complying with the state of Washington's um, different health regulations. And then once everything looks good, the family can either donate the soil and we transport the soil down to the Bells Mountain Forest. And um, we also send them a little 64 ounce box of soil that they can use to scatter on their yard or a beloved hiking trail, whatever they want. Um, or if the family wants to come pick up the soil, we can facilitate that as well. Um, the Each body creates a cubic yard of soil and that volume is because the amount of plant material that goes into the vessel at the beginning is three cubic yards. So if a family, you know, has land, they want to use it, then they can come with a trailer or a pickup and we can facilitate them taking their soil back and using it however they like. Um, How much is that? I can't fathom what that means. Is that a lot? or about a pickup truck bed. So it is quite a bit of soil. 
I yeah. just love that image of, you know, again, Uncle Bob in the back of the pickup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stick, stick a beer in the middle of it and let's go. <laughs> We're going. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of our first families that we worked with, the the person who had died, they were organic farmers. So I, I know that those families already have, you know, a, a section of their land that they really already know that the soil is going to go on. And, and how beautiful that these people worked their whole lives for soil health. And now they're like literally part of it. I love it so much. It, I mean, it truly makes perfect sense. And every time, as much as I enjoy going through cemeteries and reading headstones, I can't help but think, eventually we're going to run out of room they're going to have to because there's way more people than there is space for for death care Mm -hmm. i agree and and there's like so many intersection elements here like i mean the land use piece that you just brought up is huge and we've seen you know if you live in an older city this doesn't happen so much on the west coast but it's hard to maintain a cemetery in perpetuity, you know, a neighborhood changes, what's going on on the land changes, those headstones are there for forever. And like, can we guarantee that it's going to be respectful if they like someday build apartments over it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think about. And especially in, you know, there are like fancy cemeteries. Like I remember I went to Highgate Cemetery in London and it was beautiful, but it's like, all rich white people from the Victorian times who were buried there. And like, what about people who couldn't afford such a fancy cemetery? Like what happens to their bodies? So part of the, the, part of what we're trying to encourage is, you know, thinking about what matters to you. And you bring up a great point that like the idea that you would have your plot for the rest of time and that what happens to the land would never change maybe not so realistic whereas someplace like uh the forest is protected land yes it is protected land and also there's like this aspect of i i enjoy thinking about the fact that you know when i donate my soil i'll become part of the collective and then you know i'll nourish a tree and then you know and then the tree dies and it's like I'm part of a cycle, not so much like this is my three foot by six foot plot and no one touches it. No, I love the idea of people walking over me and enjoying the sunset and the trees and moss. And I think that's fantastic. Tell me about Katrina a little bit. I know you can't really speak for her, but it's also part of your job, I suppose, to speak for her. So do you know what drew her into this? I know she was she started as an architect. Mm hmm. Yes, I do. We've had many conversations about it and we have a history section on our website. So I interviewed her and many people in her life about what it was like when she was thinking of doing this. And she tells a story that she was in the backyard playing with her young son, who's now 12. And she was thinking he's in this time when he's growing so fast. And what is it going to be like to know him when he's 40? And then she was thinking, you know, when he's 40, I'll be 70. Like, what is what is my life going to be like then like what will my death be like and how can i make sure that my death is in alignment with the values that i live and of course at the time like basically cremation and burial were the only options and you know there's green burial but she really enjoys living in urban environments she's lived in san francisco and seattle and Um, You know, what does a green burial-like option look like for an urban environment? 
So that's how she first got started thinking about this. And she was an architecture student at UMass Amherst. And her thesis was an early version of what is now Recompose. And she then took it forward. She, of course, founded the Urban Death Project, which you were aware of. Um, she did a Kickstarter with the Urban Death Project, and we still have customers now who backed that Kickstarter. Um, she did a TED Talk about an early version of this process that now has 1.3 million plus views. So she's really been building this community for a long time. And I think part of what is so compelling about what Katrina is doing is like the um the depth that she brings to it like there are so many versions of this that don't have that heart to it honestly um like we hear from people particularly in the conventional funeral industry who are like oh well why don't you just make this just a machine just like a crematory retort that you could like sell to funeral homes and you know you could scale a lot faster they say by doing it that way um that is called a disposition option that's like purely what happens to the body is that's what the industry calls it but katrina really wanted this to be more than a disposition option she wanted it to have the donation to the forest she wanted it to have the laying in she wanted it to have this like vision and tone that recompose has um if anyone has been to our website we've been really careful about things like for example like there's there's a lot of people doing great work in the death positive movement and i have a lot of respect for them we don't use that phrase because we want people to really have agency to feel however they feel about death you know if you feel negative about death totally understandable and we want to make space for that too you had mentioned about a zoom experience but post covid bring it on <laughs> uh, I assume that people will be able to in person be part of the, the carrying ceremony. Yes, yes, we would love for people to be there in person for a laying in ceremony and our new location that we're looking for a building for right now. We are very much hoping that it will have gathering space that makes that safe. Mm, okay, how have you changed, if any, about your ideas of death since pre being part of this company and then now even from childhood how it felt maybe yeah, interesting question uh i did go to a lot of funerals when i was a kid and for a while after you know they were just like they were, they were in churches and after a while i was just like i'm not going to these like these aren't these aren't meaningful to me this is annoying it's just my family fighting and i'm not going and then I started reading books like Caitlin Doty's books and thinking more about it and understanding like, okay, it's not just this obligational thing. It can actually be meaningful. And also like from a psychological perspective, like spending time with grief is important, even when it's uncomfortable. So bringing that into my work here at Recompose, it has changed me both in that I like am more willing to confront that discomfort and to hold that space with other people. Um, one interesting element of doing this work right now is when I first started this job in fall of 2019, I would go out and do events and like thinking about death was sort of a novelty for people. It was like something that they, you know, might get into or might not be okay with, but 
now that the pandemic hit, like death is so much more present for people. And, you know, now I've been doing events on Zoom and I always start by saying, if today isn't the day that you can think about your own death or the death of your people, like that is totally fine. Like, please sign off of this Zoom. I will not be offended. It's like for for the audience and for me, it feels really different when you know how many people died today, you know? So yeah, like holding space for the ways that death is really actively present for everyone right now has been a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Have you lost anyone to COVID? Not anyone close to me. And I don't, I don't know that Recompose has welcomed any bodies from COVID. I don't know for sure. Yeah. What do you do with infectious diseases? Because certainly there's going to be that will be in the future at some point. Yeah. So for COVID in particular, right now in Washington and other states, from a handling perspective, we treat everybody like it might have been a COVID patient. And that means they come to us or we the pickup happens in a sealed plastic body bag. Um, in normal times, it might just be a cotton shroud if the person died from unrelated causes. Um, our transport staff and our funeral home staff wear full PPE. Everyone wears N95s, even me running the Zoom camera. Um, so we're really careful about that. Um, <clears throat> From a handling perspective, we've heard from the CDC and other governing organizations that there's not a huge risk of transport of COVID from a body. Um, But, you know, we're careful just in case and as well as if there were other diseases of concern. In terms of the soil itself, because of the first reason that we know that the soil is safe from COVID is the heat, the 131 degrees Fahrenheit for 72 consecutive hours. We know that that kills coronaviruses as well as any other pathogens we would be concerned about. Um, And the other reason that we know the soil is safe is because of the time that the process takes. It ends up taking between six and eight weeks. So there would effectively be a quarantine many times over if there was any COVID virus present in Mm. the person or in the soil. Mm -hmm. So that's how we know that the soil is safe from COVID. Um, As I mentioned, the Department of Health requires independent testing of a couple of different diseases uh actually they're not diseases it's heavy metals and a couple of other contaminants and i can find the exact site that makes sense because that's harmful for the soil right um but there are a couple of diseases that disqualify a body from undergoing natural organic reduction one is ebola People who die with Ebola have to be cremated. Um, the other is prion diseases, such as Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. Um, that's a disease that involves misfolding of proteins in the brain. And there's just not quite enough research to prove that this process destroys those proteins. So those folks have to be cremated. And it's up to the local Department of Health to know when there's a you know, they go to the medical examiner's office and then they're cremated basically for safety. Yeah. Um, And then also folks who have had TB 
um, are not qualified for this process because of the same, you know, there's not quite enough proof that this process destroys it. That was one that was not we didn't find in our research that that one was a risk, but when the Department of Health was putting it in for an extra precaution, they added that. So that's another group that was recently disqualified from this process. That's fascinating. Have you yourself been to the forest? I have, yeah. I was there last fall. It's beautiful. I was there right around Halloween last fall, and it's in southern Washington. It's about 40 minutes north of Portland. It has beautiful views of Mount Adams and Mount St. Helens. Um, I was there with the photographer so we could take pictures for our website, and she really wanted to catch the sunrise. So we like got in the little like ATV and went up the mountain when it was still dark and caught the sunrise over Mount St. Helens. And... I don't know what the actual temperature was, but according to me, it was zero degrees up there. <laughs> but it was really beautiful. And, and folks can see those pictures on our website. And um, I always love to share them. It's a really special place. And um, we're working right now on what it would look like to have families come and visit where their person's soil is being put to use. Um, we hope to have that in, you know, hopefully when by the time everyone has the vaccine, we'll be able to host events there. Will there be dominion over where soil is placed or is that more random? So the nonprofit land trust that owns the land, they have a team of forest stewards and the forest stewards will determine where the soil goes. And the mission of the soil is that it's really hardworking, valuable material. So for example, some of the places that they are going to use the soil is they have a tree nursery for seedlings. That's one place where the soil is going to be used. And then I, I mentioned there's a clear cut meadow that has had decades of soil erosion and needs to be replenished. So that's another place that they'll be using the soil. Um, and we look forward to sharing with families and community members all of those good works. So do they have the option, do, do people have the option to say, hey, I can't take a whole truck bed full of soil and I don't, I want more than a tiny bit of soil. Is there a have-these situation? Or? Yes, yes, have-these. <laughs> yeah, the soil is legally the property of the family. So whatever they want to do with it, we can facilitate that. And we do have folks say, okay, I want to come with my you know, five gallon bucket and fill that up and put it on the farm or whatever. So we can facilitate that. Um, one thing that we're still figuring out is folks who come to us from out of state. Um, it's it's a lot of soil to put through the mail. So we're still figuring out what it would look like if someone, you know, on the East Coast or something wanted the full volume of soil. But I talk to people all, on the phone about it all the time and I say, whatever you want, we'll figure it out. <laughs> That's a good question. And there, you do provide this service for people that don't live in Washington. Yes, we do. We can accept bodies from outside of Washington. And we have had a couple of folks from Oregon and a couple of folks from California and um, one from the East Coast so far. And it, how it works is usually they will work with the funeral home in their city to facilitate picking up their body and taking it to the airport and then recompose picks it up at the airport. Um, I do also always tell people that it is legal to transport your own person's body in a private car. If 
if they fit, you know. Like weekend at Bernie style. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, you have to have, depending on your state, you have to have a permit and we'll help you cool the body and that kind of thing. So you definitely can do it and we'll help you do it if you want to. People always ask in terms of the out of state question, um, we need bodies to come to us unembalmed. Sometimes folks will call up their local funeral home and the funeral home will say, no, it's illegal to transport a body without being embalmed. That is false. Um, There are like, we can help you get the permits that you need to ensure that you can do that. And it's, it also like kind of like really does make me angry when I hear about funeral homes telling people this because recompose is not the only reason that someone would not want to be embalmed. Like there are a lot of different religious groups where their practices state that they can't be embalmed. So that is a lie. Do not believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. That's very good information. What is the cost of the recompose process to the consumer? So our price- the grieving, I'm sorry, to the grieving. I shouldn't say the consumer. <laughs> that sounds so cold. Yes. For <laughs> if you want to choose recompose for your death care, our price is five thousand five hundred dollars. That includes the transformation into soil, the opportunity to either keep or donate your soil to our Bells Mountain Forest. Um, It includes transport within the local Seattle area, and we can also do transport within all of Washington for a fee based on distance. It includes the filing of the death certificate, as well as the laying in ceremony that I mentioned. And our staff helps you plan and facilitate that. We run the Zoom, we handle all of that. Um, And you also have the care that is provided by myself as the customer manager, as well as our services manager, funeral director, Morgan Yarbrough. So it really is quite a comprehensive package. Um, Sometimes folks who are not familiar with this industry have no context for that number. Obviously, $5,500 is not an insignificant amount of money, Um, but... Here in Washington, what is called a direct cremation, which is just just cremation, that costs about $1,000. And then on top of that, if you wanted to have a funeral, if you needed transport, if you needed, um, you know, other services, that could, that would be additional. Um, conventional burial here in Washington starts at around depending on where you want your plot to be. And if you have things like a hardwood casket or you want a nice view or a tree, it can easily be $12,000 plus. Um, I was doing some research on comparison prices and in New York City, for example, it often costs $50,000 plus to be buried in New York City. So it really depends on where you are and what you want. Alkaline hydrolysis costs about $3,000, but it doesn't include the donation aspect or the service, that kind of thing. So we hope that we fall about right in the middle and we do have some more elements of our price that aren't included with other options. Is Bell's Forest open to the public to, to walk around in or no? It's not generally, you can't just like walk in it right now. 
Um, but I just had a conversation with the executive director of the trust yesterday, and they are working on building trails that you would be able to go to. And also, definitely this year, we are going to have events where families and community members can come and hear from the forest stewards about what they're doing and, you know, perhaps hear from our soil scientists. So we do really hear from folks that they want access to that land, and we are working on it. <laughs> You gave me the idea for a company when you said uh, working on transport when they're outside of ci the city. I thought, oh, that'd be an interesting Uber ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that, like, that's our transport service. They serve all counties of Washington and we'll get a call at 1 a.m. and they need to go out to Spokane and they hit the road. Wow. <laughs> it is pretty much like Uber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. An Uber pool would be a lot different. That would be for sure. We just had to swing by this one house. We'll, it'll be fine. He doesn't talk a lot. <laughs> I, mean, I think that could do a lot for increasing people's comfort with death. <laughs> oh, 100% that, yes, absolutely. Anna, this has been really wonderful. I'm excited. I actually am going to send the website. Recompose.life, L-I-F. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Recompose.life. Yep. And all of our social channels are at Recompose Life. Perfect. And I'll put links to everything on HeyHumanPodcast.com for sure. But I'm excited to send this information to my family because right. whenever I talk to my, my father specifically, we have these conversations and he says, well, you can do with me whatever you want. I don't care. And I always say, well, I just want to take your brain and put it in a jar and animate it so I can still talk to you after, you know, after the fact. <laughs> and since that technology is a little ways off, it seems like a lovely idea to be able to walk through a forest and say hello to him as a tree or something. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you are, going to have conversations with your people about this. That's a, a great start. And um, unfortunately, I do get emails all the time about people who want to keep their bones and stuff, and it's not legal. Sorry, people. <laughs> yeah, we're a little ways off from all of that. Yeah, but another thing that I really enjoy educating people about is not just the person who is planning for their death, but their their family and their people um here in washington if you want to choose recompose all you need to do is call us at our regular line it's 206-800-8733 and then we'll come pick up the body and you don't even have to plan in advance if you don't want to and we have people who call us who haven't all the time um, but the advantages of planning in advance are you know then your people will really know what you want and there won't be any family conflict and you can legally guarantee that this is what will happen to you so there's really such a range of like some people are like i want it all done i want it paid for i don't want people thinking about anything and then some folks just can't get to the point where that feels safe for them and we're yeah. happy to work with the whole spectrum yeah when i was as, again when i was talking with my parents my father and i have he's a scientist so very very nonchalant easy conversations around it but my mom and i when we talk about it she don't want to talk about it at all, you know, even though this, we all die. That's the number one cause of death is being born. So <laughs> hard to avoid it, but to, to really understand that some people don't like talking about it and you have to be gentle. It is a conversation I think that should be had within a family, but I'm, you know, that's me that's my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, when I first started at this job, I was really like kind of giving 
people the hard sell of like, you really have to do this and you really have to think about it. And then Katrina said to me, you know, people have had all kinds of experiences and, you know, we don't want to make anyone feel bad because they had to choose cremation because it was the only option available or their person really wanted burial. We don't want to make them feel bad about the carbon impact of the decisions that they had to make. So we, I really try to come at it with whatever feels safe for you, whatever works for your person, like that, that is great. And it can be a supportive and, you know, meaningful and healing death care experience, regardless of the choices that your reality makes possible. Absolutely. Anna, thank you. This has been really great. I appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate you highlighting what we're doing. And, you know, I think you're going to get a lot of people talking to their folks and their, you know, the people in their life about their death, which, yeah. which is good news for me. <laughs> well, it's good news for all of us. I do. I, I talk about this a lot on the show that our, especially in America, the culture around death is people are terrified of it. We have a, an aversion to it. And, and I, I hope with conversations like this, that it, will help people maybe down the path of feeling more comfortable with the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's so important. And actually a, a broader part of Katrina's mission, she talks about this a little bit in her TED talk is if people have a comfort around death and around talking about death, it really changes how they relate to other people. It changes, you know, the regrets that they might hold in their life. And it's her vision that it, changes how they vote and it changes how our leaders make decisions and it changes how we connect to our communities and there's there's like a longer term peace that we can achieve by accessing our own comfort around death yes the idea that of recomposes death creates life right you you go back to the earth but also the concept of death the understanding and the embracing that someday i will die perhaps that too will create life because i will take that understanding that there is a finite amount of time that i must do what i must do mm -hmm. and so it, it's sort of this this grand overlay on top of what death means for your for recomposing just in the grand scheme of things i think so really yeah dig it anna thank you thank you have a wonderful day and uh and thank you for listening everybody see ya bye rate and review hey human on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts thanks bye